right, morning church. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2. All right, Acts chapter 2. Our main text is going to be from verse 42 to 47, but we'll just back up for context to verse 41. So if you'd follow along as I read, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves, so the they is the people who just got out of the baptistry. They, believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being done, performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So just think with me for a moment about traditions. We have um, school traditions. You know, there's the fight song that you're familiar with in high school or in college. There are certain things that maybe are associated with sporting events, the school that you went to, things that you had to be an insider to understand what's going on, the kind of built-in liturgies that only you knew, right? So there's school traditions, there's sporting traditions, there's national traditions. So I found out this week that uh, Spain has annually, they have the largest food fight in the world, it's called La Tomatina, which tells you, if you know anything about Spanish, what they're throwing. They're throwing tomatoes. It's an annual event that happens there. So you've got, you got school traditions. You have national annual traditions. I wonder how many of you grew up in a family where you had certain built-in family traditions, where there were things that were just baked in, not just practices, but attitudes, beliefs, it was just baked in to your particular family. So in, in our family, um, you had convictions like the Bible is true, uh, God loves the world, God hates uh, the Atlanta Falcons, right? So you're, that's, that's good. growing up in New Orleans, this is just, it comes with the territory. You just, you believe this, you don't question it. Um, some traditions, maybe for your family this is true as well, but some traditions are clarified along the way. It's like, okay, apparently we missed this, let's just clarify, this is a tradition you weren't aware of. So I was thinking about this this week. I remember um, my sister years ago, there was this thing that came out called the Bedazzler. Anybody remember this? And it was basically a device by which you could kind of attach or staple uh, fake jewelry to clothing. And my sister was just all in on the Bedazzler concept. And she, had, she got herself a pair of jeans, and on the back pockets, there were bedazzled crosses. And it, it was hideous. Um, but none of us were brave enough to tell Lori how it looked except for Momo. And Momo just pulled her aside and just said, baby, there are two things we don't do. You don't burn the flag and you don't sit on the cross. <laughs> so we just need to clarify. Apparently we didn't pick this up earlier, but these are two things we need to clarify on the way. It's just tradition, right? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we're not listening in on or eavesdropping on the traditions of some school or some fight song. What we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 are the traditions of the family of God, these brand new disciples of Jesus dripping wet from the waters of baptism, and what is it that they're going to give themselves to? 
and you see the practices that are woven now 2,000 years running traditions of things that the church has always been about. They come up out of the water and they say, feed me the word. Christians have been saying that. When we gather together, let's go to the table. Let's break bread and remember what Jesus did in his dying and rising. Let's, let's pray. Let's give ourselves to prayer. Let's give ourselves to fellowship and let's give ourselves to the apostles' doctrine and teaching. It's baked in. You come up in the church and it's baked in. These are traditions and practices that make us stronger. So we're going to look at three things together. I want us to notice first off the cadence of the family. The cadence of the family. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So in that way, Acts 2 captures the rhythm of God's family, but it's not just for them back there in ancient times. Those rhythms are still for us. They're still for God's people. What should it look like for us? This is in your notes if you're taking notes. We're devoted to the worship of God. We take verse 42 seriously, we're devoted to the worship of God. So the word devoted in your New Testament there, that is in the original language, that's in a verb tense that means continuous, ongoing devoting. So they were continually devoting themselves to, or you could translate it this way, they kept giving themselves over and over to these practices. And the first one of those practices is they kept giving themselves over and over to absorbing inculcating the doctrine of the apostles, the teaching of the apostles. It was a cadence. It was a rhythm. Commenting on verse 42, the the late great British scholar John Stott wrote these words. He said, one might perhaps say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. Its teachers were the apostles whom Jesus had appointed, and there were 3,000 pupils in kindergarten. You know, tucked into this, we we learn a few things. We learn, one, uh, the apostles regarded teaching as one of their main jobs. So they, they were called to teach God's word. Two, what you learn is the people were here for it. The people wanted to receive the teaching of God's word. And third, they didn't just want to receive it in their own minds. They they memorized it. They wanted to live it out. They wanted this teaching, the apostolic word, the doctrines, to shape the way that they lived their lives every day. So you read the writings of the apostles. These are the apostles' doctrine. You want to find out the apostles' doctrine? Read the New Testament. That's the apostles writing it down, committing to us the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And one of the things you notice when you read through the New Testament is they were preoccupied with one subject above all other subjects, and that subject was Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul said, if you want in one sentence what we preach, we preach Christ and him crucified. We decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything was related to what Jesus had done. That should be the same thing for us as the church of Brook Hills, that everything should be centered on growing out of this gospel of Jesus Christ. It should fill our ears and fill our hearts and fill our songs and prayers and all the rest. Our our son Will is a sophomore um, in college and he's, He's got a number of interesting experiences there. One of the things that he put me onto several years ago was a video that went viral. It went viral like many years ago, I think 10 years ago. And basically the frozen picture that you see there is just a picture of people in an airplane. But when you click play, you see someone stand up 
and he begins to, to give four beats to conduct. And a moment later, you realize that a lot of the people in that plane are part of this massive choir. And here's what you hear. Watch this with me for a second. thousand people in Acts chapter 2 come to faith in Jesus Christ. They receive him by faith as Lord and Savior and treasure. 3,000 people go down into the waters. 3,000 people come up dripping wet and what are they saying? Give me Jesus. It's the heart cry of the church of Jesus Christ. It's been that way for 2,000 years and what do the apostles do? They said, you want Jesus. How about instead of giving you one gospel, we give you four gospels. We look at the life of Jesus from every possible angle. And then after we give you four gospels, we're going to give you letters that are filled with Jesus, the likes of Romans and the likes of Hebrews and the likes of 1 John and the likes of Revelation. If you came for Jesus, you've got him. That's what we're here for. The apostles' doctrine was centered on Christ. Look, here's how I view Sunday morning gatherings at the church at Brook Hills. In all of our singing in all of our praying, in all of our preaching, in the baptistry, and at the Lord's table, we have one job. Give the people Jesus. That's the call. That never changes. That's the call. It's a 2,000-year baked-in tradition. It's how God makes his people strong. The early church said, don't tell me how awesome I am. Give me Jesus. Give me a mighty, sufficient Christ. Give me the friend of sinners. Give me the king of the ages. Preach the word of God that centers on the logos, the living incarnate God the Son. If you wanted regular hot takes on the latest things in the news and you showed up in Acts chapter 2, you were going to be thoroughly disappointed. If in Acts chapter 2 you showed up and you wanted to leave the gathering feeling God would fulfill all your dreams and ambitions, it was going to be a letdown. But if you wanted Jesus, you came to the right place because it was so centered on. They were, it was the, an utterly Christ-enthralled people. That's what fueled the mission. The Apostle Paul, he said, it's the love of Christ that constrains us in mission. We're devoted to the worship of God. It's who we are. Second, we're convinced of the power of God. Convinced of the power of God. Look with me at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So just stop there for a second. So verse 43 isn't meant to create generations of Christians who are fixated and preoccupied with miracles. Again, he uses the word wonders and signs. You think about what a sign is all about. If you're, you're coming up on a sign and it says, uh, you are now entering the state of Alabama. 
The sign itself is not Alabama. The sign points beyond itself. That place stretching out in front of you and you're uh, right ahead of you, that's Alabama. The sign points beyond itself. In the same way, the signs, the miracles pointed beyond themselves. What happens in John chapter 9? Jesus heals a man who was born blind. It's a physical healing, but it's a sign. And how do you know? Because right after Jesus heals the man who was born blind and he physically heals him, Jesus talks about a deeper blindness. He says, this is an illustration of what I really came to do, of a deeper gospel agenda. I'm going to open blind eyes. What kind of blindness? Pride. Human false religion. That's the kind of blindness I'm here to relieve. There's this deeper gospel agenda, and the church has always believed God has options. They believed in the supernatural power of God to redeem broken lives, to call prodigals back from the edge, right? They believe these truths, these realities. They believe God could give beauty for ashes and garments of praise for people covered with heavy souls and heavy spirits. They believe in the power of God to regenerate the heart, to turn the lights on, to make people rise from the dead, to take away hearts of stone and give fleshy, responsive hearts so that we believe and repent. They, they believed in the power of God, his supernatural ability. Look, they, and they didn't think that they needed help from the halls of Roman power. You, you think about what they did. It was utterly subversive. And utterly supernatural. It's like they planted an acorn beneath the massive slab of Roman rule. And they bet on the acorn. They said, just, just give it time. This gospel is going to change everything. We're betting everything on this. It's a subversive, all-encompassing power. When it says that they were filled with awe, it means God kept getting bigger in their eyes and everything else kept getting smaller. Rome and all of its tiny emperors. So you read through the New Testament, you're reading letters that were written at the times of some of the greatest, most legendary rulers in all of history. And yet you read through the New Testament and you're hard-pressed to find out what their names were. Why? Because the early church would say, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? We've got kingdom work to do. We're planting acorns beneath the slab and wait. Just watch what happens. It's an amazing faith in the greatness of God. So the cadence of family. Second, the care of family. We'll go ahead and fill in this blank if you're doing that. We walk in the way of the word and we do it together. We do it together. So how do we see this togetherness? Well, back up, look at verse 41 for just a second. Those who accepted Peter's message, so they're receiving the gospel message. Those people who accepted Peter's message were baptized and then added to the fellowship. So just think about the difference between first century Christianity and the movement of revival in the first century and what happens in modern Western nominal Christian culture. It's so different. So here, for example, if you give an altar call and 3,000 people say, I want to say yes to Jesus, and then you say to those 3,000 people, guess what your next move is? Enter into the waters, grab a microphone, Go down and declare that Jesus Christ is publicly your Lord and Savior and treasure. And now, from now on, you're going to live for him. Half that number is going to say, 
Okay, show me where the waters are. And then of that half, they're going to come up and you're going to say to them, guess what your next move is? Be incorporated, be folded into the membership of a local church where you'll grow as a disciple of Jesus. Half the number of the people who came up out of the waters are going to show up in a local church as committed members of the local church, right? That's not what happens in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. 3,000 people go into the waters. 3,000 people are folded into the fellowship of the church. It's not, Acts 2 is not this, how low can the bar be of Christian fellowship and Christian discipleship? It's an all in, what's my next move? Show me in the text of scripture what my next move is in following Jesus. They're not just there because they're hungry for the word and they're hungry for worship. That's true but they're there because they're committing to one another. That this is a place of belonging. This is a place where we're gonna do each other spiritual good in Jesus' name, and we're marching to Zion together, and we're all gonna get there. Nobody's gonna fall behind. That brings us to the next point. We bear burdens and provide for those in need. We bear burdens and provide for those in need. Look at verse 44. Now, all the believers, there they are, 3,000 plus, all the believers were together and held all things in common. What does that mean? Just keep reading. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So, I'm, I'm tempted to qualify what this isn't. What it isn't is a, a, a commune where nobody's got any private property and we all pool our paychecks. That, that's not what was going on back there. But, but rather than take comfort in the, the caveats of everything that it isn't, why don't we get uncomfortable with what it was? And what it was is a group of believers who sold their possessions to provide for the poor among them. Who said, okay, let's just look around in our faith family, and there's a lot of us here, and they looked around and they said, so this brother or this sister over here has tremendous needs, can't put food on the table, and here I got, this, I got this big piece of land over here. This is, this is a no-brainer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell the land so that I can meet the need. Why? Because this family, because this belonging, she means something to us. He means something. That family means something to us. So we're gonna come out of pocket. We're gonna part with the riches of this world and some of the treasures that we have here to make sure our brothers and sisters are cared for well, right? It was so much more than just helping those in financial crisis. It was meaningful relationship. Church at its best feels like belonging. Church at its best feels like family. That doesn't happen automatically. That doesn't happen easily. I'm not trying to give a false impression here. A lot of what I'm saying here, frankly, is aspirational. (laughs) In other words, we're not seeing it in every quarter of our lives as a church family. But rather than lower the bar... (laughs) to to some convenient thing, why don't we say Acts 2. Acts 2 is what we're aiming at and nothing less. Holy Spirit, empower us to die to self, to look more and more like this compelling community that we see in the early church. I I would encourage you, maybe your small group, read Side by Side by Ed Welch. Walk through that as a small, I would suggest that. Walk through that with your small group. And maybe rather than being overwhelmed by everything the book talks about, maybe just look at each other and say, what's the one thing, what's one thing that we can lean into more this year by God's grace so that what we're doing here is deeper, it's thicker. 
uh, Will's friends in college, our son Will, um, his friends in college, they, they started noticing that Will would get letters from his Nina, his grandma. And um, these letters would come with just a little kind of financial blessing. And by little, I mean very, they don't, not, they don't live high on the hog. There's just a very small thing like, hey, hey, go get yourself an ice cream, it, that kind of stuff. So we're not talking massive amounts of money. But it's just a little, yeah, I'm thinking about you. Nina's thinking about you, right? So um, Will, he was on a FaceTime call with, with his Nina up there in Louisville, and he's talking to her, and he says, Nina, I just need you to know that some of my friends are getting jealous. And Nina, she's such a generous soul, my wife's mom, such a generous soul. And she said, Will, you know, if we had more, I would give all your friends a little something, a little ice cream, a little trip to the movie. I would do that for all, you could just name them, and I would provide that for all of them. And Will stopped her and he said, they don't want the money, they want the letters. Right, there's, this, there's this desire, there's this thirst. So you fast forward about five days and Will's on his weekly FaceTime call with Nina and guess who's behind Will? All his college friends. <laughs> and Nina's saying, oh, well, what's your name, son? You know, what's your name, buddy? And she's finding out where he lives and finding out about his family and his mom and him and all the rest, right? Look, there are people in the Church of Brook Hills and we're barely making it. And we're saying, give me a letter. Give me a relationship. Give me a sense of belonging. Somebody talk to me. So many people, right, especially this past year, feel utterly isolated and utterly alone. Enter the church. This is what we were made for. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. True believers at Brook Hills, we need encouragement. Our our fellowship uh, it's not a one-stop shop of everything that you might want in life, right? But if you want to be rooted in Christ, you came to the right place. If you want to be secure in him, if you want to change and you want to be gospel changed because you're tired of picking yourself up by your own bootstraps, the church is the place. That's where all this starts firing. That's where all this happens. And if that's not been your experience and it's time to believe, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus in the first place. And my encouragement to you would be, let's cross the starting line. Put your trust in Jesus Christ who died and rose again to save us from our sins. And, th- and then what? Well, then let's get you into the baptistry so you can declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Then let's fold you into family and surround you with brothers and sisters who will do you good spiritually. Look, the, the reason I think that the church in the West is so anemic is we create a culture that is attractive to spiritual consumers. And then we're surprised when those spiritual consumers realize we have to die to self to serve one another and they leave the moment you have to die to self, which here's the reality. On the other side of that death to self is where real church starts. That's where it actually begins to happen in our lives. That's why we're reading the church covenant tonight. Members of the Church of Brook Hills, hear me. Please be there tonight. Please make a priority of these gatherings. If you can't be there in person, please be there um, on live stream because we read our church covenant, we dust that thing off and we say, this is a living document. This is, these are commitments. This isn't the reflection. These aren't commands or, or practices that, uh, that were made up in some corner office here at the Church of Brook Hills where we're brainstorming together. Oh, what do we give each other to do? What's some busy work for us? No, 
every command that we, every promise that we make in our church covenant, when we read that aloud together, is a promise that's anchored to ancient texts, to God's word. We have reason to do these things together as his church. And we read that together. My hope and prayer is that it's going to create over time a culture. It's a culture of meaningful membership. These promises matter to us. I'm on the hook for this. You can look to me for this kind of ministry. And I'm going to look to you for this kind of ministry. So the cadence of the family, the care of the family, and third, the culture of the family. The culture of the family. Look at verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So what do you just see there? You see gladness in the church and you see gravity in the culture. Gladness in the church. So they ate their food with joyful hearts. They ate with sincerity. There was this feast, and you could see the joy on their faces as they gathered together, and you could see there was a sense of gravity. In other words, word was getting around Jerusalem that these followers of the way, they're good neighbors. Like, I work with one of them, and I'm just saying, I respect her. I haven't embraced her way of life, but I respect her way of life. Something different about these people. You read verse 46 and you think about church life and here's what we bring to the table. Joyful and sincere hearts and food. I love that. It's not just, hey, bring your joy, bring your sincerity. It's like, no, literally bring food. (laughs) Because God opens hearts through food, right? He's been doing it for 2,000 years. He opens hearts through food. They brought joy, they brought sincerity and they ate food around the table. Uh, Eckhart Schnabel, who's a, a well-known New Testament scholar, he's commenting on this passage when he says this, the communal meals of the believers in Jerusalem were marked by exuberant joy, surely prompted by God's presence through his spirit, by the assurance of salvation through Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation, and by the experience of new friendships and the privilege of giving and receiving. Rosaria Butterfield was the uh, tenured English professor at Stanford University. Um, She thought that the worst people in the world were Christians. She was one of the founding voices of what became the LGBTQ movement. And she wrote a hit piece against Christians several years back, and she got a lot of hate mail from Christians And one letter that was written by a Christian, it was written by a pastor of a small church in her area, and he wrote a letter that was winsome. And he said, can we talk? My wife and I would love to have you over for dinner. And you can ask whatever questions you want or you can just enjoy the meal. And she came and they talked and they became friends and they started meeting for meals for a year, over and over, meal after meal after meal. And the Holy Spirit, meanwhile, was just massaging and tenderizing her heart. And then the Lord turns the lights on and she comes to faith and she pushes her old life behind and she embraces Jesus Christ as Lord. And then what happens? It shouldn't be any surprise that she ends up writing a book. And what's the book about? Hospitality. The gospel comes with a house key is the name of the book. Basically, she's saying... Try this, invite people over 
and spread food across the table and start talking. It's how God used my brother in Christ to bring me to faith. Look, we, we see these people in their houses in Acts chapter two, and you can almost hear the joy coming off the page in the text, this feast of God's grace in their fellowship. I was, um, I was looking for a photo this week. It's one of my favorite photos of my grandparents, and I'd lost touch with it, and, I, and so I was looking for it, and I thought, well, where am I most likely to find it? And the most likely place to find it is on my Aunt Becky's Facebook photo page. So I go to her page, and, and I'm just scrolling. She's got thousands of pictures, and I'm just scrolling. One of the things I'm noticing as I'm scrolling is just reload, scroll, reload. As I'm doing that, I, I noticed a couple things. One of the things is how prominent her church family is in her photo album. They're all over. It's like I'm scrolling, and I'm seeing, there's Aunt Becky and Uncle Steve. Yeah, there's their kids, there's their grandkids. Obviously, yes, 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 there's lots of that. And then I'm seeing church family. It's like, am I on, I'm her favorite nephew. Am I anywhere? It's like, oh, there's church member. And I know these church members now by name. It's like, oh, there's Connie, there's Daryl, there's Heather, right? I, and the reason I know these people is they keep showing up at her house when our family's supposed to be there. Like for Thanksgiving, one year, my nephew called it the year of the stranger because all the family members by blood walked into the room and said, who are all these people? Well, it was Connie, and it was Daryl, and it was Heather, and all these people we would meet eventually. They just do life with these people. So you just see a picture of my Aunt Becky and a member of her church family, and they're holding a goat. Then you see a picture of Aunt Becky and church members in her house, Aunt Becky and church members doing new decor for Christmas in their church building, Aunt Becky and Uncle Steve floating in the Dead Sea with members of their church, right? Just all these places that they've been and things that they're doing, and who's with them? The church family, they do life with these people. And the other thing is I'm scrolling that I notice is um, if you had to pick one word to label that whole category of pictures with the church, I think the word would be joy. They're having the time of their lives. They're friends. They love each other. They go deep in relationship together. There's a, there's a place in the life of the local church for, for fasting, and there's a place in the life of the local church for feasting. And Acts chapter 2 is feasting. It's saying our tables should be bending under the food, <laughs> and there should be laughter around the table and joy and sincerity of heart and praise for God around the table of fellowship. What if church wasn't a Sunday show that we popped in on when it was convenient. What if, what if church was living life together, growing in Christ together? What if you came to faith in Jesus and you came up and out of the water and you got yourself a brother and a sister who would walk through fire with you? Man, wouldn't that be compelling? That's what changed the world in the first century. And Jesus kind of set it up that way in the beginning. He said, you know how the world's gonna believe the gospel that you bring to them? They're gonna see the love that you have for one another. And they're gonna say, we never see that out here. But looking inside, there's something happening in there. There's lives that are being changed. There's love around the table. Let's get in on that, right? I hope none of us settles for anything less than Acts chapter two. I hope we don't lower the bar of what we're hearing 
here in these words. I hope we look at Acts chapter 2 and we say, I'm here for all of that. I want to lean forward for all of that. And we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word.